And so we really value discipleship. And the process of discipleship is, can look a lot of different ways. And so we're gonna look at how Jesus discipled and, and the way that he walked that out in his life and the model that he showed us. And that's why we're going through this series ultimately is we wanna equip. And what Jesus was an equipper. He took 12 men and equipped them and enabled them to change the world. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're having our equipping nights on, on, on Wednesdays is we want to have intentional times where we are equipping ourselves for the works of the ministry and to awaken those things that God has placed within us that are unique to us that are vital to the health of our church, our church, Soma, the church at large, and for building up the kingdom of God because we believe that each one of you individually has something very unique to offer and that comes, and, and that's fostered through discipleship. Um, I think discipleship is, it's a concept that's easy to understand. It, it, cognitively, we understand what it is, but it's much more difficult to walk it out. It's something that's, um, it can be shady on how do, we, how do I make this happen? What, what do I do to make this a reality in my own life? But I think it's vitally important that we understand what it is and that each one of us are being discipled and that we are discipling others. And so I wanna talk a little bit tonight about how that looks. Um, this definition of disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another or a convinced adherent of a school or individual. I like that second definition, a convinced adherent of a school or individual. And historically, discipleship has been the engine that has driven Christianity forward. Uh, Jesus changed the world, like we said earlier, through discipleship. And you and I wouldn't be here tonight having this conversation in this room if Jesus hadn't multiplied himself by making disciples. It's amazing just what one man discipling 12 men have literally changed the course of history. And it's the reason that we can know him and that we can be here tonight hearing this because Jesus was a discipler. Being fully God, he could have been a one-man show. He could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have been flashy about it. He could have done what, whatever he wanted to do to get his message out, but he did it in a way that we can replicate, and he made disciples. He changed those 12 guys' life, and in turn, they changed the world. And it's compelling that these 12 men believed enough in who Jesus was that they gave their lives, everything they were, everything they had, to promote his message. In the face of great persecution and even death, they believed enough in who he was, and he made such an impression on them that they forsook all, all that they were, to promote his message and to carry the gospel forward. And that, this is just a side note, but that's a, a very uh, convincing apologetic argument that, that's used a lot in the Christian community is why would these guys go through these links and put their lives on the line if Jesus Christ didn't resurrect from the dead? It doesn't make sense that you would go forth and do this if, unless you were absolutely sure that what you were preaching is the truth. And something like the resurrection would be <laughs> compelling evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. So the original disciples, they responded to the great commission that God gave them, that Jesus gave them before his ascension. And we're familiar with the great commission. It's used a lot when we talk about discipleship, but I wanna look at it tonight. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's gonna also be on the screen. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to bring or teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus makes three major statements in this verse. First being that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus obviously had authority before his death and resurrection, but after the resurrection and what that accomplished, the Father gave him authority over everything. All authority was placed under Jesus. And so the Great Commission rests on the authority of Jesus himself. And since he possesses all authority, he wants everyone to be brought under that authority. And that's not out of a domineering sense. It's out of a sense that he wants everyone to come to know him. He wants everyone to be saved, and that requires them coming under his authority. So that's why Jesus is saying this. and makes a second statement. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So up until this point, the disciples' ministry had been strictly in Israel. But what Jesus is saying now is go forth. Go to all the earth. Make disciples. And this is a very difficult assignment. Discipleship is difficult in and of itself, but especially when you're going to an unknown place, teaching unknown people. And at this point, it was an unknown truth. This was a, a new a new game on the scene. People didn't know this message. And so they were going with something that people had never heard before. And they were going to have to convince them of the truth. That's very difficult. And that's why Jesus makes this third statement. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. He says, if you commit to do these things, to go, to baptize, and to teach, my presence will be with you. I will help you overcome the obstacles that stand in your way of performing the task that I'm calling you to. And in these scriptures, Jesus lays out a neat little three-step process of making disciples. Things are always in threes. You guys notice that? It's always threes. But he says, going, baptizing, and teaching. To make disciples, you must go, you must baptize, and you must teach. Going being an intentional effort to share the gospel with people and telling the unsaved about the good news of Jesus. Baptizing meaning leading people to salvation, calling them forth into the family of God, and teaching, which is the commitment to walk people through what it means to live a life of godliness. And if we want to do these things effectively as believers, as the church, if we want to go, if we want to baptize, and if we want to teach, I believe there's a process of discipleship that has to be ever occurring in our lives. And that process is this. We're first and foremost disciples of Jesus, each one of us. First and foremost disciples of Jesus then we're disciples of others, and then we disciple people ourselves. And that process has got to be alive and active in each one of our lives if we want to effectively go, baptize, and teach and fulfill the Great Commission. So I wanna look at each one of those steps a little more closely tonight. The first one being, we're to be disciples of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. So discipleship begins when we enter into relationship with Jesus. When we accept salvation and submit our lives to Christ, we are coming to the end of ourselves in the sense that, Lord, I want to give all I am to you and live for you and let you live through me. And we're saying, it's not for me anymore, but for you, Lord. And he's, he's calling us into a deep, deep place of intentional discipleship. Salvation is a free gift, but discipleship is a process and it requires effort on our part. And it's amazing that we can be disciples of a man that lived on earth 
2,000 years ago. If you stop and think about it, it's like, I can be the disciple of Jesus who lived on earth 2,000 years ago, but we can. It's amazing, and that's because he is the word, as John 1, 1 tells us. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is alive and active because Jesus is alive and active. So when we are spending time in the word, we are spending time with Jesus himself. And through that, we can have a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. He counsels us. He teaches us. This allows us to be with the Lord. It allows a relationship where he can guide and direct and move within us. And it's an amazing thing when we when we realize what's really going on, it's like I now in 2013 am a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful truth. And if we're to be his disciples, as this definition said, convinced adherents of Jesus, we have to intimately know him. It's hard to be a disciple with someone that you don't spend time with and that you're not engaged with. It's impossible. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says this, Or it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And I think that we'll never fully live the life that God has intended us to live and is calling us to live and what he's equipped us to do if we don't fully submit ourselves as disciples of Jesus. We can strive in our own strength to get things done, to accomplish things, but I don't think we'll ever experience the fullness and the completeness that Jesus wants us to experience without that deep, intentional discipleship relationship with him. And I think Jesus demonstrates this in Luke chapter five. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna read the story. Starting in verse one, it says, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the sea of Galilee and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered him in Simon fashion, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they had filled both the boats so that they began to sink, when, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And for he, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats back to land, they forsook all and followed him. I love that story. I love that's how Jesus entered into relationship with these guys. That would be a very awakening experience to see something like that and to, and to experience Jesus stepping into your boat and seeing that kind of, you've been toiling all night and you put back in the same place and you, you have so much fish, the boats are sinking. But at this point, Peter knew who Jesus was. Jesus' ministry had been attracting some attention based on his teachings, his early miracles, and it states in the chapter before that Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he had some reasons to believe that Jesus was legit and could back up what he was talking about. And so 
Peter tries all night to do his job to catch his fish with no success. Jesus steps in the boat and tells him to try again. And despite his doubts, Peter does it. He puts down his nets and he makes a great catch. And then not just a lot of fish, like we were saying, but this was an immense amount of fish. And what's cool about this is not only did Peter reap the benefits of being in the boat with Jesus, but all those around him benefited as well. Because he was obedient, they all enjoyed the great number of fish. They all enjoyed the abundance. And I, I think that's what this is a picture of. I'm gonna read this story. I think this is a picture of abundance. Because Jesus tells us that he came to bring life and life abundant. And abundance for these men from now on wasn't gonna be, you're gonna catch a lot of fish. It's, you are gonna be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth in a powerful way. And Jesus was awakening something in them, something that was, that was deep within them, something that they were supposed to do. And when they heard this, they forsook all, and they followed him. It's amazing. And I think Jesus wants to include all of us in this same work. He wants us all to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth in a powerful way. But we have to let Jesus in the boat. We have to listen to what he says. We have to be obedient to him and commit our lives to following him and being his disciples. And what's cool for us is based on who Jesus chose to be his 12 disciples, there's no real special qualifications to be a disciple. These guys weren't picked to study under rabbis. They weren't scholars. These guys were the blue-collar working class of the day. They picked up dad's trade because that's all they, they could do. But they got to be part of something extraordinary because they were obedient and they allowed themselves to be disciples of Jesus and while there might not be qualifications, Jesus is very clear that there are requirements to being a, a disciple of his. First of all, that it requires all of ourselves. This is the essence of what discipleship is, a, a submission to Jesus. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest he lays the foundation and is not able to finish? And all who see him begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to make war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And Jesus is making strong statements in this verse. But he's obviously wanting to drive home the point that if you want to come with me, it's not going to be easy it's gonna cost something. It's gonna be a life of sacrifice. So make sure you're up to the task before you commit to it. And his statements of hating your father and mother, they're, they're rhetorical, but he's, he's wanting to really make this clear that nothing else can be before me. I have to be primary. Everything else must be secondary. You can't be anything greater in your life. So that first requirement from Jesus is it has to be everything. If you're gonna be my disciple, if you're gonna follow me, you have to be all in right from the beginning. And Jesus also makes it a focal point that anyone who is truly his disciple will love others. They will love others. Scripture here. 
if I can find it. Um, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So our love for one another is proof that we're disciples of Jesus. It's what validates us. And according to Paul, if we don't have love, we're useless. We're more annoying than anything. We're just kind of in the way if we're not driven by love. And Jesus demonstrated love in a way that the world had never seen up to that point and hasn't seen since. The love he demonstrated was, it was earth shattering. It was world changing. And if we're to follow Jesus, we must be people who love one another deeply to follow in Jesus' footsteps in that sense. Because to be a disciple, that's, that's what that we're talking about, is to model your life after someone. And we're trying to pattern our lives after Christ. That's, that's what our journey's about, is living the life of Jesus Christ. In John 13, 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. So Christ not only gave us an example of how to live, which he obviously did. We've got the entire New Testament instructing us on how to live the life of Jesus. He also gave us a model of discipleship. And people have, have designed different discipleship models based on the way Jesus did it. There's one in particular I wanna talk about, sometimes called the three C's. You guys might have heard of it, but if you can picture like a upside down pyramid or a triangle, at the top you would have the crowd, and this would be referring to like the multitudes, the, the, the groups of people, the large, the mass of people. And then underneath it, you would have the cell, which would be considered Jesus' 12 disciples, the guys he picked to have a, a, a close relationship with. He, he poured into them for three years. And then at the bottom, at the, the point, the smallest point, uh, you have the core, which is Peter, James, and John. And it's cool. It can get kind of techy if a lot of... <laughs> a lot of breakdown and formula about how you make this work perfectly in church. But I think it's a great model and something that we can do similarly in our own life. With the, starting with the multitude, if we look at the top, that's referring to something like tonight. We come together, we're here for the same reason. We know each other probably by name, just passing by. But unfortunately, we won't all know each other in a deep way. It's just we don't have the, the time, the, the capacity to do that. We enjoy being together in settings like this. We're glad to be with one another. But there is another level required in life for a relationship. Because this can sometimes, though it's good, and it, it's as it should be, there's only so far you can go in the hour and a half that we're here together, usually, or we, and just in passing. And so the cell would be that next group. Like Jesus had his 12. These are the friends that, that you intentionally spend time with, that you're, you have in your home, the people that you know, you know what's going on in their life. They know what's going on in yours. You, have, you do life with them. And most likely these relationships, they change you, they shape you. They're, they're dear to you, they're very important to you. And then I think there's, e there's a necessity for us to go even deeper as Jesus did with Peter, James, and John and to have relationships where we can be completely open and vulnerable and honest about who we are, about what we struggle with, the way we think. And in and, and those type of relationships, I think that's where true life-changing discipleship can occur. And discipleship obviously happens at, at every one of those levels. That's how Jesus presented it. He discipled 
to the multitudes. They weren't an inconvenience to him. The Bible speaks at least 17 times that Jesus intentionally turned to the multitudes and preached to them, teaching them about the kingdom of God, what it meant to follow them, about repentance. So it's not that the crowd annoyed Jesus. It didn't. He loved them. He ministered to them. He discipled them. But he knew if I'm going to get my point across, if I'm going to change the world, I have to draw these men in. I have to train them. I have to equip them. So he had the 12. And they spent three years with him, of him pouring in, of them watching him live, of him demonstrating what the kingdom of God was so that when he left, they could carry on his ministry. And these men's lives were changed. And it's, I think it's the same way with us. I we, we have these levels. And we, I know it's hard to think that way in the sense of we, you know, we've got our little level sheet with our relationships. How deep is this friend? And you're kind of rating people. That's, that's not really the point. But it's, it's so important for us to have those relationships that, that get in deep. You guys know what I mean? Those relationships that you really allow to come in and change. And just as the disciples would not have, they wouldn't have been ready without these three years that they spent with Jesus. They wouldn't have been ready for what God was calling them to do. I think it's the same with us. In our life, what God is calling us to, we have to be discipled and poured into. Yes, from Jesus, obviously, that, that's our biggest point is we're disciples of Jesus, but we need people in our lives that can pour into us, that can speak into us, that, that out of their knowledge and out of their experience can, can speak in and, and begin to awaken those things that God has called within us. So this brings us to our second level. We're disciples, a disciple of Christ, and then we're a disciple of others. In 1 John 2, 3 and 6, 3 through 6, it says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And I think that's our heart. That's why we're here. We want to live the life that Jesus Christ has modeled for us, his example, and we want to live a life worthy of the calling. If we didn't, we wouldn't be making the effort. And we know that living out the Christian life isn't always easy. I think we could all stand up and write a book on how life has been difficult and life has been hard and how following God, it isn't easy. And we weren't meant to do it alone. We need one another deeply. God had designed it that way. He meant it that way, that we would walk this thing out together, that we would sharpen each other. And I'm gonna steal something from Tony. He says this a lot. But a relationship where, where discipleship is occurring, uh, there are four things that have to be taking place at all times. And, and this is something that, that's good where we can kind of analyze where we're at. So am I getting these things? Are these things occurring in my life? It's instruction, correction, encouragement, and accountability. Instruction, correction, encouragement, and accountability. These are things that we all need and that we, have, we should have relationships in our life that contain this on some consistent level. Are we receiving instruction, correction, encouragement, and accountability? Instruction, it's important because to be skilled at anything, I mean, even in the, the context outside of church, people that are really good at things they had help. They got taught. Great guitar players took guitar lessons. Great chefs went to culinary school. You don't stumble into being really good at something without some direction and without someone teaching 
and pouring themselves into you. And it's the same way. We want to be good at this. We want to be good at walking out the Christian life. We want to be effective. And to do that, we need people that can instruct us and that can pour into us. Correction, this is a tough one that we all hate. I think we, if we were honest, we would say. But for our good, we need people in our lives that will correct us when we're out of line. I know I do. And I know that it's the least fun part of relationship, but it is so necessary. Because we can be in the wrong knowingly or unknowingly. And we need someone that can step in and tell us on both accounts, I see this going on and I don't think it's quite fitting for you. And can give us those, those small corrections that can adjust our path. And even unknowingly, sometimes we need someone to come to us and say, you probably don't recognize this, but there's something that needs to be adjusted in your life. So correction is very important to the discipleship relationship. And encouragement, we all need encouragement. We need someone that can tell us when we're doing well. Is there anything worse than going a long time really feeling like you're doing something well and no one gives you props for it? It's one of the worst feelings on earth. It's like, I don't get anything, no love. I'm giving it all I've got and I don't hear anything about it. But that doesn't give us an excuse to stop. But it's nice to have that person in our life that's like, man, I noticed you're doing really well at this. You're giving it all you've got. And that can, that can help us carry on. It can fill the tank. It can keep us moving forward. Help us through. And then there's difficult times where we just need someone to be there that can speak truth into this situation and help us overcome whatever it is that we're walking through. And finally, accountability. We need someone that can hold us to the standard. It's really difficult to overcome things on your own. If you have something in your life that you're, you're struggling with, you, you hate it, you want to get rid of it, Chances of, of going about that alone are slim to none. I think history can prove that. And I think our own experiences can prove that. So we need someone in our lives that can hold us accountable, that can keep us in check consistently. Are you living up to the standard? So we all need to be held at, in account for our actions. We mentioned this earlier, but Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. And if we want to be sharpened, we want to be sharpened, if we want to be um, continued to grow and to, ch- and to change and to take shape as a believer, we have to be an intentional discipleship. And if, if that's never happened for you, if, if you're a, a, a believer, it's like, I've been walking with the Lord for 15 years. You've been reading the word. You feel like you're seasoned, but you've never had someone come alongside you and just speak into your life. I would encourage you to find someone. Find someone that you trust Find someone that you admire how they live. Find someone that you believe in, that you could take their word and believe it. I would encourage you to do that. And if, if you're early on in the game, it's especially important. Find someone that you trust, that you say, how they, how they live, I wanna live like that. I want my life to look like that. Be intentional about it. That's what, that's what we're talking about. This doesn't happen accidentally, especially in our culture, because we're, it feels really weird to walk up to someone and it's like, you please disciple me. It's just like, it's like an awkward conversation. But it's very important that we have this type of relationship in our life. So whatever it takes for you, whatever you need, find someone you trust and ask them, will you engage in some type of intentional exchange with me where I can be sharpened, where I can grow as a believer? And a good place to start with that is just, will you, will you help me walk through the word? Will you help me understand this? I have a question about this. I, I I'm wanting to implement this in my life. It's great to sit across the table from someone that you can have exchange with, that you can have dialogue, 
and those things begin to stir. You guys know that feeling when you're across the table from someone, you're, you're having these conversations, something awakens, something quickens within you. And you walk away wanting that. You're like, man, I want more of this. Why don't I do this all the time? We need to find those people and engage with them. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And that's our goal, that we would be equipped, that we would be a church, that we would be a people that are equipped to carry out the calling of God in our lives. And it requires someone in our life that can make those things come alive and, and can encourage you in those things, that can hold you to the standard that you're shooting for. And then following that, we have the opportunity to disciple others. This is the last step in the, the process, but I think it's one that's vitally important and it's one that we're intimidated by, usually. I know it's an intimidating thought for me. And we have the thought, who am I? Who am I to disciple someone? What do I have to give? I'm sure everyone in this room has had that thought, like, why would I disciple someone? I've got my own issues. I'm trying to figure this out myself. I don't know what I have to give anybody. You have something to give. I promise you that. You have something to give. When we are true disciples of Jesus, when we've been discipled by seasoned, mature believers, we can be confident that we have something to offer. We don't all have to be theologians and scholars and pastors to have something to offer someone. God has put something unique and special in each one of us. And someone needs that. Someone needs to sit across the table from you and hear what you have to say. And they need to know what you know that will shape their lives and, and potentially change them forever. And Paul says very confidently in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And I would have a hard time saying that. And to be held accountable to that kind of line, it's like, okay. I'll take you up on it. I think that that's, that's dangerous water to tread, but Paul was confident because he had fully submitted his life to Christ and he was confident that he could say that. Follow me. I know where I'm going. I'm not taking any detours. You can follow me. You're safe following me. And it's so important for us to do that. This is the exhaling part of being a believer, of being a Christian. We inhale, we take in, and we exhale and I think so often we just inhale, 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 inhale. We can't inhale anymore. And we never let it out. We never exhale. We don't live very long not exhaling. <laughs> it's necessary. It's something that, that has to occur in the natural process of things. There's a coming in and there's a going out. And I think we rob ourselves and we rob the church. We rob the body of Christ when we have some fears and insecurities that just keep us from, okay. I have something to give, and I'm confident in that. Because we must multiply ourselves just as Jesus multiplied himself with those 12 disciples and in turn changed the course of history. God is calling us to multiply ourselves. He designed it that way. Life is sustained on earth by multiplication. Life continues because we reproduce ourselves. We don't all grow up in a bean field. That's not how God wanted it to be. We reproduce that's how we keep life moving and life growing on the earth. I think our church can be a poster for that. Reproduce. Keep life alive, you know. 
But even on a, on a biological level, think of what happens to keep us living. Cells divide. They're constantly dividing. They're multiplying themselves. They take their contents, they copy it onto a daughter cells. Those cells split, those cells split, those cells split, and there, there's a, a multiplication occurring. And if that stops happening, life stops. Even at the most basic level, God designed it where multiplication has to be happening. If it's not, life's not happening. It's not gonna work. There has to be a multiplication. And when that doesn't work right, when cells don't reproduce themselves and split and download their contents, you get genetic disorders. You get health problems. You get things like cancer. The body isn't healthy if there's not the appropriate amount of multiplication. If things aren't splitting and downloading and contents being transferred, that has to be happening in our lives, in our church. If we wanna be healthy as the body, there has to be a multiplication. And I think it can be really scary. You're like, what are my contents? <laughs> what, do I, what am I downloading here? But be assured, what God has put in you is useful and it's necessary and we need it. And God is calling us to do that. I love this quote uh, from Robert Frost that I saw. <laughs> he says, I am not a teacher, but an awakener. I'm not a teacher, but an awakener. I thought that was a beautiful way just to demonstrate that kind of relationship. A teacher, you're not just regurgitating information, you're not just spitting it at them. A good teacher doesn't do that. A good teacher awakens something that's deep inside of their student or whoever you're sitting across the table from. Our job when we're discipling someone isn't just to spit stuff out and just see where it lands, but it's to awaken the things of God that he's placed within them. And we each have an opportunity to awaken others to the purposes that God has for them. No matter who you are, no matter how adequate or inadequate you feel, God is calling you to awaken something in someone. Awaken it in yourself and awaken it in others. It's necessary. It's the design. It's how we're meant to operate. It's how the church stays healthy. Discipleship. I love that picture. Not a teacher, but an awakener. I just wanna to say tonight to each of us that you're important to the kingdom of God. I need to tell that to myself often, that we are important to the kingdom of God. It's easy to feel like, man, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to offer. I'm a nobody. That's not true. That's not of God. That's not biblical. You have something to offer to the kingdom of God. And I think we need to hear that and know that. That's not all meant to stay inside. But what you have is valuable and we need it. Please know that. Each one of you, we need what's inside of you. We need what God has printed on your heart to come out and to begin to awaken the things that God's printed on the hearts of others. You guys hear that? I really felt specifically that that was something we needed that just needed to be said. You're valuable, you're important, okay? In John 15, eight, and this kind of wraps it up, it says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the point of life, that's what we're talking about, is to conform more and more and more into the image of Jesus. 
that will change over time, that we don't stay the same, but as time progresses, we progress. As time progresses, we change, that we look more and more as Jesus, as he lived, that our lives look as he lived. And in literature, there are two types of characters. There's static characters and there are dynamic characters. You guys heard these terms, static and dynamic? A static character is rigid, like a straight line. Nothing changes it. The whole story can go by and all these things can take place. The character doesn't change. It's static. And then there are dynamic characters. Dynamic characters are the, are the ones that the plot gets into them and it changes them and it, it molds them, it forms them. Life has its way with them and they become something different at the end than they were at the beginning. And I think that's the point. I think that's what Jesus is desiring. It's not that we just get saved and that's it. It's that we are dynamic believers in the sense that the plot is changing us. It's shaping us. It's, it's um, forming us and molding us. And I want that for us. I want that for me. And as a church, that we would be dynamic believers in that sense. That we're allowing Jesus to, to get in. Allowing the story to change us. Allowing our lives to be, to be shaped and molded. And that requires all of us. It's being a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of others, and discipling others. And I believe eventually that the process will occur where all three of those things are simultaneously happening, happening in our lives. I think that's necessary and it's good. All right, so just want you guys to be encouraged with that, that you have the opportunity to change. One person, or who, who knows how many, because of what God can do through your life when you step out, when you exhale, when you allow your, your contents to be transferred. And I think that's what truly changes us. I think when we see that happening in others, our lives change in themselves. Let's stand together.